You know, it's, uh, it, it's fun to be moving around again and, and so fast, and, and it's hard not to think like, oh, like, well, first of all, thank you for all your prayers. I'm really just thankful, but also humbled as I walk through here and I, like, I come up here after, after Dan and realize, like, oh, there's lots of miracles <laughs> that have gone on in people's lives that make hips seem not as significant. Uh, so just... Praise God that he heals. And sometimes he heals physically, right? It's almost like this reminder of, yeah, I'm a healer. And he's just doing so much more than repairing hips for a little while. But I really am thankful to be able to tie my shoes. Um, I'm thankful that my wife very shortly will no longer be walking faster than me. I'm going to... I never liked having to ask my wife to slow down. That was a little bit too much for me. Also, when they replace these hips, what I'm told by my wife, my son, like I can tell when I look in their eyes, I'm about half an inch taller. (laughs) So if I had known that, I would have done this a long time ago, maybe maybe three or four times. But anyhow, it's really good to be back. I know, too, that I... I have somehow owed an apology, or, or I got to eat some humble pie or something. I did watch the Super Bowl, <laughs> and it's true. The Patriots didn't win. That was very strange to me. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I grew up, uh, both my parents are from Philly, and when I tell people, like, my mom's a, a Philly fanatic, they kind of don't understand until I tell them a little story. Um, I remember rooting. My mom's favorite athlete ever was Julius Irving, Dr. J in the 80s. He was an impressive player. Unfortunately, about half the time he ran into the Celtics and Larry Bird, and he won some of those and not others. And and I still remember um, my mom, after the Celtics came back, they were down to the Sixers three games to one, and they won the seven-game series. And at the end of the series... She was so mad. This is a Christian woman. (laughs) She said, I hate Larry Bird. (laughs) I said, Mom, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to hate him, but I think I get your pain. So it was good to at least see my mom. My mom happy the Eagles won. But we're really not here just for sports. Uh, We're going to take a look into 1 Peter, and we're going to continue right where... Uh, Claude uh, left off, or right around there, actually. Uh, So Claude went through verse 8. We're going to pick up at verse 11 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and we're going to read right to the end. We'll finish up chapter 2. So, remember, this is a message, right? He starts with, he's writing to identifying readers who are aliens, aliens, and we said there was some debate over, uh, was he just using it, you know, metaphorically, is it just this idea that you're spiritual aliens in a foreign world, Um, which of course we are, right, this idea that as we follow Jesus Christ, we will always realize we don't quite fit, that most of our world is not following him, they're in a different kingdom, right, clearly described as two kingdoms, so Peter's writing 
to aliens. Now, they quite literally might have been aliens as well, that there were Christians being expelled, uh, Jewish Christians many, but uh, there was expulsions going on in that day in Rome, so that it may have been that they were literally aliens in a foreign land too. That could have both been both. So here's Peter writing how to live as an alien in this world, as a foreigner. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and <laughs> I kept saying aliens, uh, exiles is the word he uses. <laughs> I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is when Christ returns. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I read that, 
I don't know how to not feel tension. How to not pause and think, how does that play out? What does that look like moment by moment? I mean, that was some heavy stuff, right? Like how to respond this how to respond when we're being treated unjustly. But I think the whole thing, I think there might be one line that we can sum up the whole section we just read, which is, do good for the glory of God. Right? As we move into these decisions and we hear all these different images come in our minds as we're told to, submit to governing authorities and how we should behave and how we shouldn't behave and, and what it looks like to respond to injustice. That it, it, It's just not clear, right? Like, what does that look like in this specific situation? But what if, but what if, but what if? But I think we can start with do good for the glory of God. That right from the beginning... He gives us two verses that just tell us, look, doing good for the glory of God, it, it means this. You can't just blend into the culture. Right? The way Peter says it is, look, if, if you just blend in, you're missing it. You need to look different. That when people go to speak against Christians, and they, they do, always have, and they certainly were at this point, that make sure when they're speaking against you, they see that you're different. That you don't join in with everything, all the other injustices and immoralities that are going on around you. Live different. Be faithful. You know, when everyone else is saying that all the things we hear. Nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. Speak in any manner you wish, you know. If it's true, blurt it out. And use profanities if you need to. What's it matter? Like, this is a culture that's out there. Be different. Don't blend in. But then the next two verses kind of go to the other extreme and say, and make sure... It, you're not revolting. That you're actually submitting to the governing authorities, the human institutions that are in place. That gets tricky now at that point, right? Like, what does that look like? And, and maybe, maybe Peter just doesn't know who it is he's asking us to submit to all the time. I think he does. Because who he specifically mentions is the emperor. Now, the emperor at that time is either Claudius or Nero. And you can think of your least liked politician, and they will not compete with Claudius and Nero. <laughs> so it's not this idea that, oh, the emperor, like, you honor him because. He's got life figured out because he's so righteous. Uh, the opposite. You know, Peter's going to be killed by an emperor. 
in a Colosseum. You know, that's just for show. That, that, that's what tradition tells us, that Nero puts Peter and Paul and many other Christians to death. But there's still this idea of, no, no, no. Don't start these revolts that you might be hearing about. This is how the world plays that game. You play it differently. Do good. Suffer even in the face of injustice. There's a, there's a way you're going to win this fight. But it, it's not by dishonoring or disrespecting the emperor, no matter what you might think. What does that look like? To, to me, the picture, and, and Peter's going to get to it a lot more in those last four verses. I think we just need to have images of Jesus in mind. What did it look like for Jesus to move through a world where he knew the human institutions in place were largely rejecting him and his father, and he is the legitimate king? What does it look like? Do you have, any of you have come to your head that scene of Jesus before Pilate? When Jesus is getting all sorts of accusations thrown at him, and, and what he does in that situation as he comes before Pilate, and the Jewish leaders of the day have gathered around him, and they're looking to put him to death, and it's really gaining steam at this point. They got him before Pilate, Pilate is asking him, respond to these accusations. And generally, Jesus responds at that point, silence. And, and Pilate is amazed. You know, really, he says, you're, you're not going to respond to me? Don't you know, Pilate says to Jesus, I have authority to release you or to crucify you. Do you remember Jesus' response? The only authority you have is the authority that my Father in Heaven has given to you. That's it. I mean, he goes on to share a little more truth to Pilate about, hey, I am a king. It's a different kingdom. If I were fighting the battle like you think I need to fight it, I would just call on the officers of my kingdom and they would come rushing in right now. But what he does instead is he moves through this fight with the kingdom of the world and this extremely humble, if we didn't already know the end, we would say, puzzling response. Silence. The injustice keeps coming. Right up to the cross. An amazing response, right? I think, too, Jesus knew his mission was to save the world. He's the Savior of the world. And yet he stays so humble the whole way. It's like he's never demanding of the Father, like, make me more known. 
Save me from this injustice. It's Jesus, the King of Kings, moving into injustice, and his trust is entirely with his Father in heaven. Father, I don't want to take this cup. I don't want to have to go through this, but if this is your way, then this is what I want. And I know that your way ultimately leads to victory. So I take it. He never, he never left that little area of land that he was called to. Isn't, you ever think about that? That the Savior of the world spends almost all his time in Galilee. It's not like back then Galilee was a big deal. What? They put the Savior of the world right here. Have him die in in Jerusalem. Have him die at the hands of evil emperors and governors and a, a Roman Empire. Like, How could that be? That this is how the Savior of the world is going to save the world. It's so humble. I think in my own life, there's times when I'm being called to do good for the glory of God. And I'm pushing back a little bit because it doesn't feel like a big enough role. Maybe it's not known enough. Maybe when you ask me to do, endure this injustice, I feel so insignificant. I don't want to feel insignificant. <laughs> But the idea is, when we simply do what he's calling us to do, not demanding anything else, trusting that the Father has a plan, and the plan will bring him glory, and there's no greater glory for us than to bring him glory, then we never need our task to be spectacular in the world's eyes. Our task will always be sacrificial and humble and eyes on him. That whatever he's calling us to do, it's it's going to be sacrificial and it's not going to look like we're blending into the culture. Nor is it going to look like we're going to take the culture by the neck and strangle it out and revolt against it. There's a lot more of a listening Jesus before Pilate peace. I think that's the picture that Peter's trying to help us to see. That we're exiles in this world and you can't blend in and you don't revolt the way the world revolts. And when we do this, God is glorified just in doing it. Uh, Just yesterday, I was walking and praying in this little loop that I take around my house. And as I'm walking and praying, uh, a couple is coming near me. Or not a couple, it's actually two girls coming by me. And I'm praying, like, Lord, do do you want me to share with these two that are coming towards me? And... If you do, just open up a door. I'd love to tell them about you if they need to hear about you. You know, they came by. They were in their work clothes. They were obviously in a rush. They blew right by me. There was no chance to share. There's a piece of me that thinks sometimes, like, Lord, why? Why not open that door? Like, 
he's being glorified, I'm doing good, if there's conversions right here on the street all the time. But actually, what I'm convinced of is all he was calling me to do at that point was just walk and pray. He didn't open up that door. It wasn't what was best right then. He's got a plan. Sometimes as he's moving us in the task he's given us, we're wondering, why aren't you doing something different? <laughs> I think of Dick Woodward. Why is not a bad question. It's just not always helpful. <laughs> like Just keep doing what he's calling you to do. And when you do it, he's glorified. Now, there's more than just those first four verses we've gone through. He gives us some results. He gives us, for one thing, he says, Peter tells us, here's what will happen around you if you'll do this. If you'll do good for the glory of God, it silences ignorance. You read that and think, wait, what do you mean? There's still plenty of ignorance going on no matter what we do. And there always will be. Right? There's, there's two kingdoms in this world. And this kingdom that's following the enemy like, they'll always be in ignorance. We'll always be able to pray as Jesus prayed on the cross, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But what Peter is telling us is some will have their eyes opened. If you'll do good no matter what and follow him, it will silence ignorance of some. I think of the cross there were two criminals right there, right? One on either side of Jesus. One of them was silenced. His ignorance was silenced, and one wasn't. Right? One just kept accusing, but we read in Luke chapter 23 that as one criminal was telling Jesus, if you're the Savior, save yourself and us. And the other one just said, don't you fear God? What happened to that guy? He saw Jesus responding to injustice. And it opened his eyes. It silenced him. That actually what happened to him is he did fear God. Lord, remember me. It silences ignorance. There's a centurion around the cross, again in Luke 23, who sees the way Jesus dies and says... This guy is innocent. It silenced him. This was a guy who was part of the execution. It's amazing, right? That's the promise of Revelation 11, the promise of John 4, that there will be a harvest, that if we'll do good for the glory of God, some who are living in ignorance will see and believe. It's not a maybe. It will happen. Jesus at the well, you know, the, the Samaritan woman, when she runs back into town and goes and tells all the Samaritans that they come walking back out, Jesus talking to his disciples says, look, the harvest is ripe. It's white for harvest. And he said, you remember, do you know that prophecy about there's a day coming when the sower and the reaper will rejoice together? That is, the harvest will be so big that you won't be done reaping and there'll be sowing to do again. You know, usually there was a space in between there. Jesus says, no, 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 it's changed. 
Everything's changed. I'm here. I'm the new covenant. That gang coming out to you, they are ripe for harvest. If you'll do good for the glory of God, if you'll carry out the role that I have for you, you will reap. There will be a joyful harvest. And it's going to be big. Some will believe. He actually keeps going, though. He doesn't just say, if you'll do good for the glory of God, that it silences ignorance. There's more. He says doing good, it, it avoids evil. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it just lays it out so clear. Every decision, every decision we make, every word we say, every action we take, I have two options. There's two kingdoms. I'm either letting Jesus lead me or I'm letting my old nature lead me. I'm listening to the temptations, the lies that the enemy wants to put in our head, right? I love that description of Satan. To me, that's the one that's most descriptive. He's a liar. So he's putting lies in my head constantly. And Jesus is constantly putting truth in each moment each decision, each action, I have two options, two kingdoms. There is not a third option that sometimes we like to create, right? Or some decisions that are over here, like they don't count. Like you won't make a decision for good or evil, that, that somehow you'll make a third uh, inconsequential uh, option. There isn't anything like that. It's two. And when I do good... Not only will it silence ignorance, but verse 16 says, and will avoid evil. And are any of you familiar with evil? Are any of you familiar with acting just out of self-centered interests? Who wants it? The ending is disastrous, right? Lord, anything but that. I think that's what fear of God is. And I think that's why it's the beginning of wisdom. Here's my fear of God. I don't fear God when I'm with Him. He loves me. I'm with Him. He's the King. He sustains me. Here's what I fear, though. One step outside of His will. I am familiar with this place. I don't want it. Lord, anything but that. That fear puts our eyes on Him. Our eyes on Him, beginning of wisdom. That doing good, it silences ignorance and it avoids evil. I wish we had more time for the last four verses. Really, it picks up, I guess, right around 21. The other thing that happens and the foundation for why we do it is when we're doing good, it follows Jesus' example. That this is actually who we are. Remember, Peter said we're born again. That we're born into a living hope. Peter said all those prophets, they were prophesying in the Old Testament, they were prophesying by the power of the Spirit of Christ in them, looking into future events, trying to figure out when and how, who. But now you've been born again. We've been born again. The Spirit of Christ in us, a living hope, He's resurrected. 
that by doing good for the glory of God, what we're doing is we're following Jesus' example. It's what we are meant to do. It's how we're now wired. And then Peter goes into this just awesome reference over and over, back to Isaiah 53. You see it in that passage? Isaiah 53 is that, that famous one. Uh, you can read the whole thing. It's like 13 verses. You'll be blessed by reading it. I could say a lot more about it. We have copies of Isaiah 53 that predate Christ. That's amazing. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter wraps up chapter 2 by saying, remember his example. When he was reviled, he didn't return it. When he was suffering unjustly, he didn't threaten. Couldn't he just threaten Pilate? He didn't. What he did instead was he bore our sins. Right out of Isaiah 53. Peter's saying, you know Isaiah 53. Here's what he did. He bore our sins in his body, on the cross, on the tree. And as a result, we are healed. We were the straying sheep. But now... The shepherd of our souls, our overseer, we no longer restrain. He's pulled us in. Peter's asking all those who believe Will you do like Jesus? Will you do good for his glory? And as a result, what he will do is more strange sheep will see and believe and come in as they hear our testimonies of how Jesus really has rescued us, that we've died to sin and we now live in righteousness. We are changed, pulled out of those awful habitual sins that were killing us. He's rescued us. They'll see our lives They'll see us doing good if we'll listen and follow. And they'll want to know more. Just like the thief on the cross, just like the centurion, just like what happened all around the Roman Empire in those first 30 years. It could just spread like wildfire. People wanted to know. Tell me more about this Jesus who you say is resurrected from the dead and has saved you and has changed you. I can see it. And of course, there's always that question for any of you who might be here who have never made that decision, who are still being crushed by the guilt of your sin, your mistakes. You've hurt people. You've caused unnecessary pain. We can relate we can relate to the guilt that brings. 
He bore your sin so that you could be free of that guilt and live different. To really live, all you have to do is believe and follow His example. I pray that we can all leave today and moment by moment, no matter how small the task may be, no matter how small the word, do good for the glory of God. Amen. Have a wonderful week.